Good morning, everyone. As we've continued through our sermon series on the Minor Prophets, we've traced different points throughout Israel's history as a nation. And coming to the book of Haggai this morning, it's the first time that we find ourselves on the other side of the exile. Haggai is the first minor prophet who we've come to, who we would refer to as a post-exilic prophet. You see, after all the warnings of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Zephaniah, and others, the worst had finally happened. God had allowed his people to be conquered by the Babylonians in 587 B.C., He allowed Jerusalem to be invaded, the city to be ransacked, and the temple to be destroyed. And his people had been carried off to exile in foreign lands. The people had repeatedly broken their covenant with God by committing idolatry and forsaking justice. And so God used the Babylonians to punish the people of Israel. And he scattered them throughout the ancient Near East. Yet, as we learn in two other Old Testament books, Second Chronicles and the book of Ezra, A new nation came into power after the Babylonians, the Persians, led by King Cyrus the Mede. They conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. And then the very next year, he made a proclamation, King Cyrus, declaring that the exiles could return home. And so about 50,000 of them did just that. They returned home to the land. And so our book this morning, the book of Haggai, picks up Israel's story 18 years after those 50,000 people, the remnant, they're called, returned to Israel, 520 B.C. So the prophet Haggai speaks God's word to this remnant of God's people who've returned from the exile. They've been living in the land for 18 years now. They're back in the promised land. They've rebuilt their homes, their farms, their schools, and all is slowly returning to normal except for one thing. So our text this morning comes back from the book of, comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 2, all the way to chapter 2, verse 7. So you can follow along in your order of worship, your pew Bibles, or just listen while I read from Haggai chapters 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm, and he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as their Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. 
And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being our God and for speaking to us. Convict us this morning and draw us closer to yourself. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, I am a, I'm a big to-do list guy. I love to-do lists. I, just, I love the small sense of accomplishment that you get when you make a list of things that you need to do at the start of the day and then you slowly check them off one by one or maybe you cross a line through them. And I make to-do lists almost every day. Sometimes they have things that are a little bit easier on them. Sometimes it's things like uh, email Pastor Aaron or brush my teeth. Just kind of easy things. I know I'm going to get them done, can knock them off. Sometimes they're a little harder. They're like write a sermon or go for that long run, things that might take a good bit of time. But however, sometimes I get a little too ambitious and I, and I try and really, really go after a big task. I'll write something down like figure out my IRA or do wedding thank you notes, <laughs> things that clearly aren't happening anytime in the near future. And so I run into a problem. I have these things on my to-do list, and I don't know what to do with them. So the little solution I've come up with is I just circle them a lot. And then the next day, I just draw a line through the whole page and make a new to-do list that doesn't have any of those things that I was clearly never going to accomplish to begin with. So as we come to the book of Haggai this morning, we're told in just the second verse that God heard the people saying, the time has not yet come for us to build the house of the Lord. The people had decided, evidently, that rebuilding the temple just wasn't at the top of their to-do list. It's totally understandable that the first thing the Israelites did wasn't necessarily rebuild the temple. They needed homes, they needed to work on their crops, they needed something to eat. Maybe it wasn't the most important thing for them to do. But it's now been 18 years. 18 years. 18 years they've been living in the land, again, after exile, and it still hadn't reached up to the top of their to-do list. It's just not yet time to rebuild the temple, they said. So I get that something might fall to the bottom of your to-do list for a couple days, maybe a couple months, 
But if I waited, if we waited 18 years to write our wedding thank you notes, that would be a serious problem. People would start to wonder. And so at a certain point, and I think that point is well before 18 years have gone by, it just becomes clear that you don't really care that much. And so it may not seem like a big deal to us as we read this story this morning that they hadn't rebuilt the temple and they'd been living in the land for 18 years. But if we think about a more robust understanding of Jewish culture, the temple was the centerpiece of Jewish society. The temple was equated with God's presence. The temple was where the people were made right with God. The temple was where God dwelt with them. It was where their sins were atoned for. It was where they were made clean again. The temple was the center of everything. And so if the temple signified God's presence amongst the people, and the people hadn't rebuilt the temple, the people hadn't made a place for God in their lives. For 18 years, they hadn't prioritized God having a place in their lives. So Haggai poses a question to the people. He says, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, paneled houses, that's actually a little dig on the people because Solomon's temple, the great temple, was paneled with cedar wood. And so now these people are dwelling in these beautiful, fancy houses paneled with cedar wood while God's house lies in ruins. So they've had time to rebuild their own houses, but not time to rebuild God's house. And we find out another piece of important information, and it's that things aren't going that well for the people. Consider your ways, Haggai says. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag without holes. Evidently, the people have enough. They haven't gone hungry, really. They have enough to eat and drink. They have clothes. They have money. But none of it is satisfying them. Haggai's pointing out that even though it seems like they should have enough, nothing is satisfying them. And maybe that indicates that something is really wrong. So Haggai continues to prophesy, speaking God's word in verses 7 through 11. Consider your ways, he repeats. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. There's a question here that God is answering that the people aren't necessarily asking. It's how can I be satisfied? How can I be fulfilled? How can I be happy? What is this good life that I'm chasing after? The Israelites, the remnant who had returned from the exile, been living in the land for 18 years, they were chasing after all of God's good creations, looking to be satisfied. After work and food, possessions, homes, all these things they were looking for fulfillment. But God stops them in their tracks and says, Consider your ways. You do not have enough and you never will. Why? Because you're missing me. You've neglected me. For 18 years, you've neglected to invite me into your lives. The Israelites got busy. They got busy with everything except for caring about their God. 
And so his call to them is simple. It's this simple phrase, consider your ways. More literally, you could call it, set your heart upon your ways. Reflect on them, meditate on them. Like the psalmist says in his first psalm, there's a way of righteousness and a way of wickedness. Which is your way? Our way is the path that we're, our life is headed on. It's the path that's made up of all those little decisions we make. We make hundreds of them every day and they indicate our priorities. They say, what is your way? Consider it. Reflect on your life and answer this question. Is God a priority? When you think about your ways, how you, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you treat your spouse, your friends, your children, what does that indicate about your heart? As you consider your own ways, what do they tell you about what you love? What do they tell you about what you care about? Is it the people close to you? Is it your neighbors? Is it your city? Is it your world? Or is it mostly yourself? And as you reflect for a moment on what your priorities are, I want you to take this into account as well. The thing that the Israelites needed to consider and reflect on was the thing that they were making excuses about. The passage starts with God just saying, you people are saying that it's not yet time to build the temple. They were making an excuse for something they hadn't even been confronted with. That told them, that should have told them, this is something that is wrong. And so what are the things that we make excuses for? The priorities that we have that aren't quite as they should be. How are we spending our time, our energy? What do we focus on each day? The excuses about where you spend your time and your money, these are the type of things that very well you may need to work on. The things you're making excuses about are quite likely the thing that God is calling you to change. Now, just like the Israelites, what we do is we get really busy in life. We get really, really busy. And now let me say this. I'm, I'm not a parent. I've never had twins. I'm not in school while I'm working. I'm not a lawyer or a doctor who works 80 hours a week. So I can't consider your ways for you. I can only consider my own. I can't tell you the things that you aren't prioritizing in your life that you should be. Whether that's spending more time with the Lord or giving more money to the poor or spending more time serving. I can't tell you what those things are. I can only reflect on my own life and consider my own ways. But what we learn from this book is that what we prioritize, what we do, what we spend our time investing in shows what we care about and it shows what we love. And for these Israelites, their neglect of the temple for 18 years showed that they really didn't care about having the Lord in their life. But God cares about being in our lives because he knows that we'll never be satisfied outside of him. And so that's why he sent his prophet Haggai. And that's why he confronts us with this truth in his word this morning. Because as the famous church father Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 
So the people are left with two options. Like every time a prophet spoke, they could either heed the words of the prophet or they could reject them, continuing to make excuses and refusing to rebuild the temple. And amazingly, for one of the first times in Scripture, one of the only times, the people actually heed the prophet's words. They listen to the prophet and they start to rebuild the temple. It says that they feared the Lord. They considered their ways and that in verse 14, they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. But as chapter 2 begins, we see that a month has passed by. And as the people were building God's temple, they were remembering back to the great glory of Solomon's temple. That first temple, which was so massive and beautiful. And they start to get disappointed. They start to despair. Looking at their works, looking at what they've done and saying, this just isn't enough. It's nothing compared to the old temple. And inevitably, our greatest efforts, our proudest accomplishments as Christians, in faith and in practice, they fall miserably short. And we're left just like that faithful remnant, despairing over our inadequacy, looking at our attempts to do what God has commanded us to do, to love him, to love our neighbors, to show mercy and love and justice and kindness, and seeing that we fall miserably short. And while we aren't being commanded to rebuild a temple, we are commanded to be a temple. We had 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 read for us this morning where Paul describes us as temples of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's part of life as a Christian. When we put our faith in Christ and are adopted into his family, we receive the Holy Spirit. We become God's temples. And so this is both an encouragement and a responsibility that we are God's temple, that he dwells in us. And Paul draws out the implications of this in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says, how can you be living in sin? How can you be hurting your brothers and sisters? How can you be so selfish and greedy? You are God's temple. You are his presence in this world. And we're temples of the Holy Spirit, so we must care for that temple. But what do we do? Who do we turn to when, just like the Israelites, we're demoralized by the state of our own temples, by the state of our own work? So God has two words for the Israelites in those days, and I think those two words still speak to us this morning. The first he repeats three times at the start of chapter 2, both to the leaders and all the people. He says, Be strong. It's an exhortation, just like God spoke to Joshua, Moses' heir. Be strong and courageous. God knew that the work of building the temple would be challenging, that other people would oppose it, which we know from the book of Ezra. And so like a tender father encouraging his child to face his fears, he calls out to us and says, be strong. The second word he has for us is work, for I am with you. I'd like to propose this morning that there is a unique beauty in each one of us. That each of us reflects God's image in a unique way. Every single one of us here this morning. There's something intrinsically beautiful about you because you are God's child. Because he's your father and you're his child and you're beautifully and wonderfully made. And that also means that there are things that God enables you to do individually 
that only you can do. Things to build his kingdom on this earth. And he created you uniquely to do this work. You are uniquely beautiful and uniquely gifted to do God's work. And when I talk about God's work, it isn't in this very narrow sense like being a pastor or being a doctor or being a shop owner. Whatever those things are, those are your vocations and those things are important. But where you really live out this calling, where you really live out this command to work for I am with you, is in how you go about this work. It's in bringing God's image, which is uniquely reflected in you, to that work. However you spend your time, for the Israelites it was building this temple. It was building a place for God to reside among them. However you spend your time, you're uniquely gifted to bring part of God's image into this broken and hurting world. To love and to show mercy and to do justice and to walk humbly with God. And whether it's easier for you this morning to see your beauty, to see how you reflect God, or whether it's easier for you to see your brokenness, to see the sin in your life, God's promise is sweet, and that is that he's a God who never leaves us or forsakes us. He's covenanted with us, he tells us, and we can work for he is with us. And so as we conclude this morning, we're left to meditate on the three phrases that Haggai repeats throughout his prophecies. Consider your ways. Be strong, and I am with you. The first, it lends itself to conviction. Where are we making excuses? What aspects of our lives are we holding back from God? In what ways are we neglecting his calling in our lives? The second lends itself to encouragement. God encourages us to go boldly into the world and to be his presence in a dark and wounded and broken world. It's a grand challenge to be strong. And the third, the last one, it's the gospel promise. I am with you. That despite our greatest failures, our most horrific sins, and our deepest brokenness, which we can't hide from him, Jesus stands with us and says, I am with you. We can't outsin God's love. He's with us. And so those three phrases are Haggai's main message. They're convicting, they're encouraging, and they're the good news of the gospel. They push us to look internally and assess what's going on in our hearts, whether we're making room for the Lord, whether what we're doing with our lives is reflecting that we care about him, that we care about his presence, and then they're pushing us outward to be strong and to work for he's with us. Consider your ways, be strong, for I am with you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for making us in your image and thank you for making your son in our image so that you could turn our deep brokenness into deep beauty. Convict us of our sin and draw us back to your loving arms. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.